Welcome. My name is Eddie Arrieta. This is Fulfilling Work Life. We intend to talk to leaders, professionals, remoters, human beings from all around the world who share with us their knowledge. Join me in this daily journey. And we are live. I've, I've stolen right. that one from Mr. Joe Rogan. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue doing that. Marvin Liao with us in the house today. Marvin, thank you so much for, for joining us and for accepting the invite. Oh, thank you to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And, 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 and it's so great because a lot of people were very excited yesterday uh, that we were going to have you. So I'm hoping that we'll get uh, our people to come in. And they usually start coming in 9, 9, 9, 9, 10. Uh, not everyone is as uh, expert with time as we are, but it's all good. Yeah, it's a super relaxed conversation. Yeah. Why don't we get started with the whole e-residency thing? When did you apply for it, you were saying earlier? For those that don't know, we're talking about the Estonian e-residency program. Like 2015 or something. So I, it wasn't anything like I applied for. Like it's one of those like random things where I was speaking at a conference. This was in Finland, Arctic 15, great conference. And I was just like wandering around the hall, like checking out companies, just seeing what's, what was there. Because the first time I'd been to this conference and um, and I saw like, like this like Estonian e-residency, what's this, right? And, and I started talking to people there and I'm like, wow, that's a really good idea. And they're like, yeah, why don't you apply? And I'm like, well, I wasn't going to set up a business and like, what's like 50 euros. I'm like, well, 50 euros, like that's cheap, right? Like, why not? Right. Like, so I just kind of did it as a lark and I got it um, because you have to go through some, like, you know, you have to go through, make sure you have no criminal record and all that other stuff. And then I started digging into it. And, and you know, so once I got the, the, the e-residency, it was just like, Oh, this is like, this is a really good idea. Like, and, and as you know, sort of, they started presenting a lot of like conferences I was like speaking at, as I, I started learning more about like this idea of the e-residency and, just like all the infrastructure that Estonia has actually built behind it. And even the background of actually why that was built. Um, so I don't know people knew like this must've been back in 2006 or 2007 when um, Estonia came under a massive, massive um, like cyber attack, like a DDoS attack by the Russians. Um, and just like completely shut down, like all their banks, all the government websites, everything were like completely shut down. And because of that, they actually had to sort of completely rebuild from scratch. So they built this, incredible infrastructure and they're like well wait a minute like why don't we leverage this infrastructure and get you know attract more businesses so you know you can vote online um you know setting up businesses and things now like super super easy like legal entities and it's an eu country um and so just like what they've done with the with like the the you know just what they've done as a country but what they've done sort of infrastructure wise is like fascinating um and so i got to know some of the folks at e they gave me this so i i, I love this sweatshirt it's like super comfortable <laughs> That's that's why you get that's why you want to get uh, some shrug uh, uh, from from different. That was to totally accidental too. So so my friend runs marketing over there. We spoke at a conference, and so when I went to Estonia, he got one of his colleagues to actually give this to me. <laughs> so uh, this is just actually in January. That works out. That was our works out pretty well. I, I have I have um I think my my initial question to you because I know yeah, yeah. that a lot of the people that listen to this uh, over the podcast, some of you that you know, my, my watch it over YouTube or Facebook, uh, they are always very interested in how do I get to like that place, right? You, you are an angel investor and then people don't realize that it's, I mean, you're not born an angel investor. You don't go to school for them. Well, maybe, maybe you sure. do now, sure. but how, what was your journey like and, and how, 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 how that did Marvin Liao came to be? Yeah. Um, so, so I came to this sort of, I'd say somewhat accidentally. So, um, you know, people don't know who I am. So I've been here in San Francisco. I'm Canadian, but, um, moved here like when I was like 24, 25. Um, and I've been in Silicon Valley now, like almost 21 years. And so I started off this startups for a couple of years. Uh, then I was very lucky to join Yahoo back in 2001. So I saw the rise of Yahoo from 2001 to 20, let's say I left Yahoo end of 2011. I took two years off, you know, basically between like, you know, I did some consulting and helping friends out, but I was mentoring a lot of startup accelerators and one of them happened to be 500 startups. So during that two year period, I actually did angel investing because I started meeting a lot of these startup founders and I, I did it sort of like small checks, like wasn't huge checks, but I did small checks just to learn. So I did maybe eight deals 
I, I can't say I was very good at it, but I think I came at it from a very different view. Cause like, well, wasn't sure I was going to make any money. I didn't even know what I was doing. And so that money's all gone. Um, and so I did angel investing. So that was 2012, 2013. Um, and so I was a small angel investor and, but it was just like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. So I looked at his really startup charity. Um, you know, for folks who don't know me too, I was, a um, you know, started San Francisco, um, the San Francisco office for 500 startups, which is an accelerator VC fund. So I was there for the last six years. Um, and I left in end of 2019, um, really to sort of take most of 2020 off, um, not knowing that all this stuff is going to happen. And so that's sort of kind of my weird journey of sort of how I got into sort of like angel investing. Um, and that was the plan to do some angel investing this year. But actually with all this mess right now, like I don't know how active I'm going to be um, because I, I think sort of like just reorienting. I think the, the challenge for me right now is just, you know, COVID has been a huge effect for everybody, right? Like awful, awful situation. And because of that, it's just, it's, you know, just looking at from a business perspective, you know, we're in lockdown. We've been in lockdown for the last two months. We'll be in lockdown for another month. Um, I'm just not sure what we're going to get when we come out. So it's just for me, it's just like, well, there's so many changes that are going to be happening in the consumer side. There's going to be so many changes that are going to be happening in the enterprise sort of buying behavior. So because of that, I still have a little bit of a better understanding because nobody really knows right now. It's just like, I just don't know why anybody would be, a, would be an active investor at this point in time. So kind of like right now, sort of like everything's kind of on hold, right? The great pause. So that's sort of a long-winded answer. Yeah, and, 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 and thank you so much because I think a lot of the things that um, our audience also asks about, especially in this period, it, we want to listen from those that are leading different industries. Like, what is your perspective? And you've talked briefly about that right now when you're saying, you know, we are in a waiting period. You know, how, how long do you think this waiting period is going to be? And what are, you, what are you investing your time on? Because, I mean, you're an investor, so it's amazing to like hear, like you're not just like sitting and waiting. I'm pretty sure you're doing some stuff. So what, what, what are you doing that can give us light into that? Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the, the challenge right now, just especially, being, you know, even though I'm not at 500 anymore, I have a very large portfolio. So I have a relationship with many of the, the founders. And so, you know, I spent the last eight, nine weeks just checking in, talking with a lot of the founders, you know, trying to be helpful, just like helping them think through like cost structure, right? Because like, you know, the, you know for a lot of VCs, you know, like you spend time with your portfolio companies. So I think this is the challenge that most VCs have if you have or most ex-VCs, VCs, investors, angel investors have, um, you know, if you have a portfolio before, you're spending time mainly with your previous portfolio companies and founders to make sure that they're going to be okay, that their teams are okay, that they can survive the storm the next for the rest of this year. Um, so that's actually been my priority. Um, and as well, sort of besides that, like that's probably beginning, I think, you know, probably March, that was probably 70, 80% of my time. Now it's probably more 50% because sort of as we're, we're now sort of end of month two going to month three, you know, now sort of for me, I'm spending a lot more time just trying to figure out like what's going on. So I spent time doing that, but even more so now where it's like, okay, like seems like most of those companies will be okay, or at least there's a plan. Now it's sort of like, how do I sort of get a better understanding of what's happening out there? Um, and so doing a lot of reading, having a lot of conversations with like a lot of my former LPs, a lot of my you know, limited partners, um, having a lot of conversations with like a lot of my friends who are like running family offices, VC friends, startup friends. And so just like trying to get a sense of other fellow angel investors, just trying to get an understanding of sort of what's going on um, because it's still not clear. <laughs> and and it's, um, th th thank you. Thank you so much for that because I think a lot of people might think that they are the only ones that are struggling through this time. And, and when you look at all of the companies that you're probably involved with, um, the common denominator, what, what would you say it is for them? Are most of them lost? Are most of them worried? Are most of them like, what, what is the feeling there? I, I think, I think like, you know, it depends on when you talk to them, right? So I think for a lot of them, you know, in March, it was like, holy crap, like what the hell is going on? Um, but I think because you're a startup, like the advantage the startup has partly because you don't have a lot of money and don't have a lot of resources, you you're, you're actually forced to face reality very, very quickly. So they're able to sort of like make the changes that need to be made. And so I, I found a lot of my companies where in the beginning was like, oh, like not sure what's going on. But I think as they're getting more data, they're, they're able to sort of make that switch and, and at least put a plan in place. Um, and so a lot of what I, a lot of how I spend my time is just sort of being sort of the reality check 
I'm just like, okay, here's what I see, right? Because I get a lot more access and talk to a lot more people than they do. Where it's like, and I think I feel like my perspective is a little bit different coming from as an investor. Where it's like, this is what I'm seeing, and I tend to also be much more pragmatic. So I think for a lot of founders, just by nature, you tend to be more optimistic. Where it's like, oh well, th- when things come get back to normal in May or June or whenever that is, and I'm like, there's no going back to normal, right? Like, let's take a look at the data. Right, the data points in the U.S. like we're at 16% unemployment rate in weeks. Right, like that's unprecedented. You know, the the reality is that when most of us like come out of shelter in place in in the U.S. over the next couple of weeks, like a lot of companies are not going to come back. And so I, you know, sort of helping them, sort of like, hey, understand like this is what's happening out there, and you need to sort of like plan for the worst. Like you hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. So how do you, you know, sort of what are the things that you're putting in place to make sure that you survive for the rest of this year? And even most of next year, because the reality is that there will probably not be a lot of investors who are going to be active when you come out. For the investors that are not going to be active, for the companies that are not going to be active, what I'm interested about is, and I was thinking about it this morning when I woke up, and is who does Marvin Liao work with? Like you said, you have a large portfolio, you are working with a lot of um, founders, but I presume that especially the ones that are not going to survive, it might be because they don't have the right approach to everything um, that it's happening. So who do you yeah, work with right now? So, so here, here's the thing, like, you know, I, you know, for any of my founders, I'll always talk to any of my founders in general. Right. And, and so I'm going to say there's probably about 20% are like really, really doing well. Like, you know, like either had raised a bunch of money right before, or their business is well positioned because of just, you know, what COVID has done is actually accelerated a lot of trends as well too, right? Both positive and negative trends. And so there's certain subset of companies are like, are in great, great shape. Um, And I don't have to spend a ton of time with them, like, because like, they're like, yeah, well, we're good, right? Like business is actually great. So we're still hiring, doing stuff. You know, I would say there's probably about 50 to 60% of companies. And this is actually where for a lot of them, where like they're somewhere between six to 12 months of cash in the bank. So somewhat positioned. and, And I think, you know, depending on how they play the next couple months, whether through cuts or sort of like increasing the business in some ways and maybe closing any rounds that they have, they're going to be able to extend that to 18 to 24 months. Now that they'll be, they'll be fine. And so for a lot of them, it's just helping them think through like, okay, how do you get, what are the creative ways that you can get to 18 to 24 months of cash, um, you know, through either through combination of cost cutting in different ways, moving accounts receivables up, like what are the things you can actually do strategically to sort of like get cash in the bank? How do you reposition the business for sort of segments that are growing, you know, like sector to sector. So talking through a lot of that, that's probably where you spend most of your time. Sorry, my microphone was was completely yeah. muted. Uh, and I I want to push a little bit into this. And I know I, I know it might be tough because you know we, we don't want to get fully into your uh, investing algorithm. Uh, but I know that a lot of the people that also watch the show are trying to figure out for themselves like what is the opportunity in all of this. Um. So 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 far I I know you've you've mentioned you know we are all kind of lost. We are all in the waiting uh, game. We are seeing how it every how everything plays out. Yeah. Uh, where have you seen the highest growth? Where have you seen the highest opportunity at this moment? Um, like I said, still early, right? But I, I think like areas I, that I've identified that I think are super, super interesting right now, um, you know, and these are no brainers, right? Like anything, like there's stuff that's obvious and the stuff that's not obvious. So the obvious stuff is like any software technology that helps with sort of like remote work in general, right? Because that's a big, big shift. That, that's very, very obvious. Um, you know, telemedicine, that's very, very obvious. Um, I would say particularly in the U.S., that's very, very obvious. Um, but, you know, I think it's pretty obvious in general, but now there's sort of an impetus to sort of make that work. Um, I think like biotech in general, I'm not an expert in biotech, but that's a no-brainer, right? The amount of money that's being dumped into pharma, into biotech, um, life sciences, it's, it's really, really critical. Those are, those are very, very obvious ones. I think non-obvious ones that, that have started to become, that are interest, more interesting now than they were before, um, anything in like digital media, like audio space, um, you know, video space, anything that's like related to like gaming, um, like video games that was very clearly not attractive before. Now it's become very, very attractive. Um, it was attractive to me prior to, and I've gone on record even last year in September, October, where it's like, wow, like kind of notice where you look at sort of 
what was happening in that area and the space, all the interesting activity in general. And I think all of a sudden what you know, COVID has actually done is driven a lot of engagement. A lot of folks have actually come on board sort of gaming, but where gaming, you know, video games had sort of a negative connotation, at least in the U.S., um, that is gone. Like I think in general, the, the, the connotation of gaming has changed. So the product zeitgeist fit has changed a lot in video gaming. Um, stuff that is, you know, also maybe not as obvious, Stuff that's, for example, like food chain, supply chain management, um, software that helps in that area, um, tracking provenance of products. Um, you know, that stuff is really, really interesting now because I think what's happening is that you're seeing the fragmentation supply chain in general. Um, you know, like we're having, for example, meat shortages in the U.S. because of breakdown supply chain. Um, and I, I think what's happening is people realizing, oh, wow, like we've had this really, really complicated supply chain. And it's still very, 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 you know, the, the processes are not very digitized. And so I see very, very interesting opportunities there, especially as I think you're starting to see a lot of supply chains in every country, especially critical supply chains, whether in food, pharma, whatever. I think a lot of these over the next like three to four years are going to be brought back to more friendly climes, right? So for example, one of the opportunities, I think, for example, I think that you're going to see a lot of supply chains that we're mainly in China now are going to be brought back, for example, to the U S to Mexico, to NAFTA. Um, so Canada, Mexico, I think that's a really interesting opportunity. Um, and so one of the things that I think like, and I thought this was always an opportunity before, but one of the things I want my daughter, I have a 10 year old daughter. One thing I want her to learn is Spanish because I think with the supply chain being brought back, I think Mexico is going to be Mexico and Latin America is definitely going to benefit from that. Absolutely. And, and I agree completely and fully, not, not just because I'm working out of Medellin, Colombia, yeah. uh, but, but because it's, it's, it's almost kind of like one of the obvious ones that you see. And, and especially in Colombia, one of the things that I've noticed is um, I'm, I'm from a small town called Cincelejo. And, and that small town, uh, about a month and a half ago, they were going to have 100 tons of watermelon go to waste because they are used yeah. to sending it to the larger cities and yeah. all the borders were closed. And all yeah. of a sudden they had to like very quickly realize like, how do we sell this locally? And what's impressive is like, okay, there was a local market <laughs> to buy yeah. all of it. It's like, why were you like sending it like miles and miles away? I, I, I'm not sure how it's, climate change and all of that conversation going to evolve. And, and I know you mentioned briefly, like, we're not going to go back to normal. Do you think there is going to be like a significant change? And I'm talking just like, okay, more people believe in climate change or more people are going to be more aware, but do you think it's going to be, there's going to be a significant change there? Um, I, I do, because I think when you've been locked up for two months, three months, you have a lot of time to think, you have a lot of time to reevaluate your life, you have a lot of time to reevaluate the world and your values in general. And I do think that, you know, I, I've, maybe I'm just optimistic, but like, I do think that something good will come out of this because of this like great pause. Um, so that, that's my take. And that is the great, the great pause. I really like how you, how you call it. And, and I agree with you also on what you were mentioning about uh, video games. Like I've seen, and I, and I'm a big, like uh, football fan for those in the US I'm a big soccer fan uh, and I do see how like now these pro athletes now are like basically being broadcasted playing video games I mean they are pro athletes they could have been making probably twice as much as they were making before just by playing their soccer game then going home and playing just one game every night <laughs> like if they were to do that in the past they would have made more money now that's yeah. something that's going to change probably yeah is, yeah for is, sure is this something I, 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 that yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the changes, for example, like I question sort of whether we're going to be able to have like live sports, right? Like we will have live sports, but not with no audience. So streaming comes very, very important. And I do think some, some, the gaming aspect is interesting in that area. So, you know, I'm very bullish on the video game space. I, I think that, and you look at the numbers, like, you know, EA, Blizzard announced their numbers, like crazy good numbers. Um, you know, those are publicly traded companies, but some of the numbers I've been hearing from like video game companies, like private startup video game companies, like they're doing very, very well. All right. Thank you so much. I want to I wanna quickly say uh, uh, thank you to everyone who has joined us. Uh, I know you guys uh, are, are usually there sharing this content. Remember, uh, you can form, find Marvin, Marvin Liao on Twitter and also on Instagram. You can find us as, as Weird Torre. You can find me as well. 
uh, as Fish Edinson. Uh, so Keisha, Loreto, Mef, uh, thank you guys. Uh, you guys are always here every single day. Mm-hmm. Jose Daniel, uh, I really appreciate you guys being there. Remember, you can ask Marvin Liao any questions that you might have. And I have a question. I, I think last time, and, and if you guys don't, don't know us, of course, you wouldn't know how we met. But uh, we met at a running remote conference in mm-hmm. Bali. Um, in, in, the preview, in the previous world, you know, Pre, pre-COVID world. Um, and I remember back then you were super bullish on, um, on Europe and, and what was happening over there. And I know things have changed, uh, but, but what is your, your message or what is your take for startups? And, and the people that are listening, a lot, of, a lot of the guys that listen to this are startup founders in, in Europe. What, what is your take on, on Europe right now? I'm still very bullish in general, you know, not that part hasn't changed at all. Right. I think that there's certain sectors like, you know, like that are really challenged right now. Like, you know, if you're in the retail, like sort of online retail is different versus you're sort of supporting offline retail or supporting offline restaurants or travel space is really, really hard. But in general, I'm still very bullish on Europe. Europe is always very, very strong on the enterprise and SaaS sort of like business overall. And so that hasn't changed at all. And in many ways, I think they have sort of, you know, versus, you know, tailwinds versus headwinds, they have like tailwinds, right? Like they're doing very, very well. So I, I'm, I still continue to be very, very bullish on Europe. That's, that's still a big part of my thesis. And as soon as we can start traveling, I hope to make it out there, but we'll see. I, you know, I, I think unfortunately travel is probably not going to come back for the rest of this year. So I suspect they'll be spending a lot more time in, in San Francisco for us this year, but you know, 2000, you know, 2021, you know, I hope to be getting back out on the road again. And I'm still very, very bullish on the region. Awesome. And I, and I do know also that a lot of the people that watch these uh, are always very interested, especially in characters that do not necessarily work for a specific company, but that they do their own thing. And they yeah. are, uh, we call them craftsmen. And, and you, you are in particular a craftsman, like you, you do your own thing and, and you craft it along the way. Uh, what, what are some of the things that you can tell the people that listen to this that, that help you get stuff done and, and get it done in the way that you want to get it done? And I'm not only talking yeah. about um, your, uh, let's say daily habits. I'm talking about kind of like your conceptualizations of the world that allowed you to get stuff done. Yeah, I, I mean, t- so so I think I, I'm very, very fortunate where like I get to work on stuff where just like that's personally interesting for me. I don't really need to do stuff that, yeah, I don't really care about that. So I'm not going to really do it, you know, outside of taxes and things obviously you have to do, right? But, you know, in, in general, where it's just like, well, I get to, I, I'm very, very lucky and more I think about it, just like, yeah, I'm super grateful of just like sort of to be in a situation where like you more or less, like not totally, but like 80, 90% of the time you get to you really only get to talk to people and do the things like interviews like this, where it's like, Hey, I get to do an interview. If I didn't want to do it, I don't have to do it. Right. Like I'm not obligated to sort of do these type of things. So, you know, almost most of my day is spent sort of the way that I want to spend it. Right. So if I have a day where it's like, you know, I don't want to do anything. Um, I'm going to just go what read video, you know, sort of just play video games. Like, you know, you know, for example, Animal Crossing, right? Um, I'll do that. Like, there's days like Saturday, just like, I don't feel like doing anything. I'm just gonna play Animal Crossing all day. And I did that. Right. And other days, like, um, you know, like I feel like reading and other days where I'm just like, I feel like talking to startup founders and talking to my VC friends or whatever it is. And so I'm very, very fortunate where I get to sort of like schedule in a way. So, you know, the, 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 you know, I've, if I look at how I've crafted my life unintentionally, but I think probably more intentionally now, how I've crafted my life is sort of like to chase sort of curiosity, right? Chase the things that I'm like interested in. And that has always been the case. Like I would say it wasn't until probably like three, four years ago where like I started figuring out like, wait, maybe I should be more intentional about it. And this is sort of the path that I've actually gone. I've gone and done and been able to do all this stuff because of chasing curiosity, not chasing money. Right. Does that make sense? It, it, it does make sense. And I think the, the common denominator for everyone that has come on this show, and we are now on the 25th uh, show, 24th, uh, we, uh, everyone has said, you know, we, we don't chase the money. Kind of like the money is uh, like a byproduct of really following that like specific thing that we enjoy. And it always seems like it's not, it doesn't feel like work from like the definition most people have of work. Like it's something that you don't want to go to the office, you don't want to do this and da, da, da. It, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I would say generally speaking, that's okay. So, so for example, you know, and I would say most of the time, right? Like there are sometimes it's just like, really understanding sort of what mode you're in, right? Like there's the, the sort of like the, uh, you know, the focus. So I ask any, anybody, right? So anyone who's like looking to sort of do stuff and they ask me 
foolishly asked me for career advice. And I'm like, well, what's your focus, right? Is your focus really, you know, or is, is it learn, you know, sort of is the focus in priority like learning versus earning, right? Um, and I actually think it's fine. Like, you know, there are some situations, like for example, most people go to Wall Street who take jobs in investment banking or management consulting, like, yeah, there's some learning, but it's mainly about earning, right? Like that's your focus. You're there to go make money. And actually there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because I think in the beginning, like, especially when, you know, that was my focus when I was younger, where it's like, I just want to earn, right? Like I'm going to do whatever sort of just to make money um, because you just don't know any better. And, and by going and doing that, you learn a lot of skills along the way. And then over time you kind of get to know yourself. Um, and so I do think like, it's one of those things where it's like, you have to earn your ability to sort of like get to, to sort of certain positions. Right. And so like, when I look back when like, I worked incredibly hard to get to sort of get to where I am. Like I, I was doing like, there was a period of time in my life for almost like close to a decade, like I was doing maybe like 100 to 110 hours a week, right? Um, and granted, like sort of in the beginning, it was just sort of like partly desperation was like, yeah, I need to sort of earn. There's also partly was like, hey, this is really interesting. I'm learning a lot of stuff, right? So partly greed of, of sort of like for money, but also fear of just like, wow, like if I don't actually do this, like I have a family support and other things. So it's kind of a combination of that. Um, and then sort of once you get to that point, you start being smarter, just like, oh, maybe I should focus my time doing this because I'm good at this. I like this. I'm good at this. I'm not so good at that. So I'm not going to do that anymore. And so over time, you kind of fine tune and optimize. And I really like what you're saying because it, it, some, some people might think like you have to do it one way or like, okay, you have to work 110 hours or you have to want to earn money or you have to not want to have money. Like it doesn't really matter. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's up I, to you. Yeah. I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's one way to do anything, right? This idea of just like, here's the one way to be successful, yeah. successful, like whatever that means. Like, here's the one way to go do this. There, there isn't right. Like it's like math. Like, you know, I remember math. I used to drive me nuts where it's like, and why I never really did that good in school was just like, they're like, I was taught these different ways of getting to sort of like the answer. Like there's like five or six different methods you can use to sort of get, get a math, to get the same math question. I remember I hated it so much with the teacher like, no, you didn't do it the way I taught you. And I'm like, fuck you. Right. Like who cares? I got the answer. Um, so that's for me was like, I never really enjoyed school where it's like, I like scores. Like as long as you get the right answer, doesn't matter how you do it. Show up once a week, you know, sort of like use some different formula. As long as you get the answer, like that's real life. Right. And that's why fundamental, I'm like very like anti-school in general, because like school is like, here's how you get the right answer. I'm like, is there like a right answer? I don't know. I, I have, I have that, I have that problem with my, with my son's school. In fact, in fact, like I sent him to school to break the school. Yeah. Like that's kind of like my take. I'm like, okay, go there. Like every time you come back and they are saying like, he's not doing the things like everyone else. I'm like, good. I'm not going to say yeah. that to him because yeah. maybe that will cause bigger problems, but it is, and it's not just about doing things different. It's about just finding uh, your way. And, and yeah. I know a lot of the people that listen to these are always trying to find their ways. And I thought that uh, I probably know that, that they are going to find this, this very valuable. We have a few questions yeah. uh, that the audience is already asking. That they just want to see your perspective. Yeah. Um, Loreto uh, Messina, uh, he's saying, hello, Marvin. Uh, what are your thoughts on renewable energy, perhaps in relation to some of the industries that you have mentioned? Um, I mean, look, ener energy is like critical for me. Like, I just don't know enough about that area, right? Like, you know, the clean tech area, the renewable energy, like it is, you're going to see a lot of focus on this over the next, like, I'm going to say, it's not next five years. I think it's the next 10 years. Um, and and here, here's my rationale behind it, because I think right now, you're starting to see a lot of backsliding by government regulation, by a lot of, lot of companies in general on, because right now, like the focus is like, how do we get people back to work? How do we get this economy back to work? Right. That's the focus of survival. Um, and so I do think like, I'm a big believer in like Maslow sort of like hierarchy of needs where I, I do think like, do I think that it is critical that we start thinking about climate change and renewable energy now? Absolutely. But people are not wired that way. Right. Because people are not wired to like do the things like, whether it's your health, whether it's environmental things where it's like, well, I'm not, you know, like this thing's not going to affect us for another 10, 20 years. Like it's so stupid, but that's the way we're wired. And so understanding people. So what I think what's going to, unfortunately what's going to happen is like, wow, I just need to survive now governments, people, companies. And so I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of that stuff is just going to get pushed sort of to the side. Right. Well, because so for example, like, you know, San Francisco used to be, I'll give you one example. San Francisco used to be like very like, pro-environment still is. And so, you know, every store you went to, like, you know, no plastic bags, 
you know, like you, you have, you know, you have to pay for your paper bags or bring in sort of like, um, you know, sort of like your own bag. Right. And so that, that was very common. And so like, great. But then when COVID happened, like all of a sudden they went to like, they ran out of paper bags and now they've gone back to plastic bags. You're not allowed to bring in, you're not allowed to bring in your own bag. Right. Because of just like the health stuff. So all that stuff is just like completely changed. Um, but I do think like after sort of once economy sort of gets running again, you know, four to five years is my guess where it's like all of a sudden, like, okay, we need to be paying attention to climate change. So I do think it's probably a 10 year horizon and probably not a five year horizon. Wow. That's amazing. I, I, I would, I would have thought it would have been, or, or I would have, I would have guessed personally that it was going to be a, a bit more faster. So uh, in terms of the economy, I do agree. Like we, we are looking into much longer. Most people are like, Oh, I wish in the next three months, you know, we can, go back yeah, to like our yeah, normal I, I wish right like i wish but that's just <laughs> yeah. that's just not going to happen right like i un unfortunately i think it's going to take like this is the first time where i i i, I like it it was like economies are like when economies shut down they're like cars right like you you push on the brakes and stop but when the economies are also when they start up they're like they're basically like trains it takes a while for the train to sort of get moving right because of just like the load and so i unfortunately my forecast and I, I hope I'm wrong on this one, but I think it's going to be three to four years before we get back to anything related to normal. And so we're in for the next like two years of pain, two to three years of massive pain. And, 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 and it's very, very, very tough for people to understand this because there is no precedent of a, a moment where the economy has completely stopped uh, like this from, from, from your, you know, you're thinking uh, actually, about this. Actually, there, yeah. there is. It's actually, it's actually like the fully great, stopped? Like, yeah, it's a great depression in the 20s, right? Like that, that's like, I don't think it's going to be like that because I think that from a central bank's perspective, they've done the great depression took as long as it did because partly due to two reasons, right? Number one, central banks were not active. There was no monetary plan or policy. Um, and that took a while to sort of get in going. And the other thing that global trade, you know, basically they put up tariffs, right? So that sort of happened, but it hasn't really happened. So, you know, I don't think it's going to be like a great depression, but it's not like 2008, 2009. And I don't think it's like 2001, 2002. Like, I think this is like way more widespread. So I, I think it's going to be, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a tough road. And, and that's sort of why the, re, the reset and the rethinking and retooling that everyone, every company, every person needs to sort of like go through now. And, and I think I come back to perhaps what you were mentioning earlier, like there is the obvious and there is the non-obvious in terms of how, where things are going to be hard. Uh, we all know what the obvious things would be in terms of like where things are going to be hard, because like, okay, there's less money, we have to save, like families are going to spend less, like all of that. Where, yeah. where, where do you think are the non-obvious uh, hardships that people are going to have to go through or that companies might have to go through? I think this is a very U.S. thing, but I suspect that's probably similar in Europe and Latin America. I think that the, the companies are going to have a harder time getting back or the SMBs, right? Um, they have a lot less, in theory, you know, based on what we're seeing right now, like one of the things I worry about is like small retail stores, right? Like, you know, small restaurants, like the independent restaurants, the independent retail stores. I, I worry that a lot of them will not come back after this, you know, sort of in the shutdown. That's a lot of people out of work, um, and also the lack of diversity because of that, I think is really, really bad, right? So I don't want to go out to a world where it's just all chain restaurants. Um, and so I, I do think there's going to be a flower of new restaurants and things like in the next two years. So that will, you know, that'll be good. But I think like a couple of my favorite restaurants probably will not come back. That, that is incredibly, you know, like the, the suffering that, that, that they're going to go through, that sucks. Um, and so I think a lot of small retailers is going to be really challenged. I think the travel industry is really challenged. Right. Like for the next two years, like I think it's going to be a while before they come back. And so anything that's sort of even remotely related to travel and tourism is going to be really, really challenged. That sucks. Um, and that yeah. seems that's an obvious one. Right. Um, but I, I think like the conference business, right, like how we met, like which is sort of how I've met a lot of friends and things like that business is like gone, right? Like they're either going to have to fully move remote and that's just, it's not the same. There is something about going to conferences, meeting people, hang out with folks like we hung out. Um, like that's gone. Like that, like that business probably doesn't come back for two years. So, you know, it's just like, like the world is very different. And, and by the way, for B2B, that's actually where a lot of business is done, right? Like for a lot of like enterprise software, um, any sort of like offline remote businesses, like I don't think like, 
like for example, say the construction issue, right? 80% of the business was done during this construction business that happened in Vegas. Like that's not coming back. Like that's over. That last time that happened was like in February or March. It's over, right? Like the reality is that how, how do we transact business now? How do we sell? How do we meet people? Zoom is not the same as, as sort of like meeting live and hanging out, right? Together in Bali. Yeah, and I know, and I know it's gonna take people uh, some time and companies some time. Do you do you still think uh, that there are uh, too many people on denial about how yeah, the world sure. has changed? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I see, I see that, I see that a lot, and and I see that's why a lot of people are asking, like, okay, what what do you think is gonna happen? And it's like most people are hoping the answer is like nothing's gonna happen, that everything's gonna stay the same. Yeah. Uh, and and I have a, a question from Mel uh, Rael. Um, because we heard your perspective on the United States. We heard your perspective on Latin America. He's asking about the other regions. He's saying, okay, what do you think about Asia, in particular, like Singapore, Hong Kong? What do you think about Africa? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so so I think in the short term and long term, you know, fairly bullish on Asia. And when, it, when I talk about Asia, Asia is such a wide sort of like region overall, right? So um, I'm, I have to say, I'm not that bullish on China. Um, I, think, I think it's this idea that China is going to be sort of next global player. I don't think that's the case. Um, and I can give you sort of my reasons for that. I'm, I'm way more bullish on sort of like Singapore. Um, I mean, unfortunately, Hong Kong, I think, is done because it's part of China now. So that's, that's unfortunate just because it's such a, it was such a dynamic, amazing sort of city state for such a long time. Unfortunately, sort of since it got taken over by China, like the right, you know, sort of like all the protests are coming back again. Like it just, it's, it's going to be a really challenged place. Like I'm, I am very, you know, very, very heartened by what's happened. Like, for example, in Taiwan, which I'm Taiwanese, I'm a little bit biased there. South Korea, Japan. I think like Asia is, has, is going to come through economically way better than sort of the rest of the world. I think partly because they manage the COVID crisis way better. I think because they're just way better managed countries in general, um, generally speaking, right? Um, I think like Europe, like certain countries like Australia, New Zealand, like here's the thing, here's what COVID actually laid sort of like, you know, really, really illustrated. Countries that, were very, are, that are pretty well run, that have economic systems and sort of like, I would also say political systems at work, that was very, very high, you know, that was highlighted, right? So let's look at the countries that were, that have sort of gone through the crisis pretty well. Generally speaking, Hong Kong, Singapore in general, South Korea, Taiwan, um, you know, like Estonia, um, Finland, you know, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, um, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Germany, Right, like countries that are pretty well run. Portugal, countries that are pretty well run. Let's let's talk about countries that, that have not done a good job. Right, U.S. has been a disaster zone. Brazil has been a disaster zone. Turkey has been a disaster zone. Um, you know, France still too early to say, um, but I would say like U.K. has been a disaster zone. Right, like look at these countries of just like it's you know brazil like just like look at brazil like what a disaster zone or just like like fundamental like sort of like real governance issues um and so i think that has highlighted countries that are well run versus sort of countries that are not very well run like us like this idea of exceptionalism in the us right now i've been in the us for 21 years us citizen us and canadian citizen i look at the difference between canada and the us stark stark difference of how stuff has been managed right um canada has really really come through it's way better than the u.s on every single front um and that's disappointing right like you know I, i'm glad for canada but disappointing in the u.s like what a mess um and so because of that like i i do makes me wonder about what the future looks like right <laughs> um, um and so i do think about that like certain countries in latin america like mexico i don't think mexico has done a good job managing the crisis and, and you are so right in what you're saying that it definitely highlights and i wrote this down because it definitely highlights uh, like the deeper issues that and, and uh, yeah we could we could extrapolate that and say for human beings as well like and, and i've said this in like my my personal yeah. circles yeah, like, like, like in crisis it highlights like who you really are yeah yeah and like italy spain has been just disastrous right like in their response to to coronavirus um as sort of like governments and so yeah like you know like i look at like i think the the four or five worst countries, worst managed countries, US, Spain, Italy, UK, and Brazil, like just awfully run countries, um, you know, partly because of the administrations in place too, right? And, and that unfortunately just affects everyone. So this idea of just like, wow, like good governance actually really matters. Like, yeah, it really, really matters. <laughs> 
I'm, like I'm, literally life and death. Yeah. And, and you know, something that has, has been highlighted to me as well uh, for Latin America in particular, because I'm in Colombia, is you, you can clearly see that any of the numbers that have been shown are not fully real. <laughs> it's almost like, yeah, we're doing well. It's like, are we really? It's like there are countries that you trust their numbers more than you trust others. And, and well, Ecuador has been devastated. It's, 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 it's incredible. And, and it was just because uh, there were like particularities of like their response. It was like, yeah. it just took a little too long for them to yeah, respond. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, 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 it's, and it's amazing. Yeah. Like, like I'll give you an example, right? China had to put the hammer down because their response is awful. This happened in China starting in December, right? And so they didn't like, you know, remember back in January and, you know, January, they were, they were locking up and actually killing like doctors that were like trying to sort of get the word out. Right. Like, so they had to come down. So everyone talks about China doing a good job. Like, not really. Like they did a pretty awful job. And I actually think like, like I have certain bias here too, but like China, like they purposely withheld a lot of information as well too, right. From the rest of the world, because they're stockpiling PPE stockpiling. Like what is scary for me is that, you know, 80% of the vaccines are actually made in China. That's frightening to me. And that's for me seems to be the first thing that most countries need to be pulling back to their countries. And it's uh, and you know I, I don't I don't want to talk too much about like China in this in this instance, yeah. but you know the feedback that I've gotten from the people that that I know that live around is those numbers are not real. Whatever that. No, they're not real. There's no way. There's no way. It's like there is no way that there is a China that's acting like Japan. Like all of a sudden, like it was very famous that like hospital that was built like in 10 days is like, you, you know about this. You yeah. didn't figure this out. And then you just, let's build a hospital. It's like, no, you knew about this months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I will give credit to China of just like the response when they realize like, holy crap. And, and I, I think in defense, like how China works, it's just very opaque. Right. So a lot of it was sort of like the local sort of like Wuhan sort of like local government, not passing the numbers up. I think people in central governments, like if they knew, like they would, you know, like when they found out, they're like, holy crap. So a lot of people got fired and probably jailed. Right. So I, the response was like very, very disproportionate because it had to be. Um, and so I'm not saying like, I'm not saying that the response was bad, but it's, it's just sometimes because of like the dictatorships, nobody tells the truth. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's the case. I, I have one comment regarding uh, Taiwan. Uh, yeah. So they, 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 they are saying the following. I also believe that Taiwan is a very underrated region and yeah. outshined by China on, global, on the global arena. Taiwan now has a simple gold card for in one visa and attracts talent and entrepreneurs. What do you think of Taiwan's future and will more governments apart from the U.S. start supporting it? Yeah, I think the reality is like, I think Taiwan does have a future. I think the reality is it's going to be complicated. I think a lot of governments are too cowardly. They're still scared of China um, and they're still overly dependent on China. I think that'll be a very, very different story once a lot of strategic supply chains are being pulled back. And that's going to happen over the next like two to three years. Um, this is, I, I, I think you're going to see a lot of that of, of we're going from a fit, an efficient sort of economy to becoming a much more resilient economy. Right. I think that's what all this, COVID-19 actually is highlighted. And so I think we're going to see, especially as a lot of strategic industries and a lot of global supply chains are being pulled back to the countries, to Europe or to the US or whatever, I, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more, you know, a lot less reliance on China overall. And because of that, I think potentially at that point in time, there might be a little bit more support for places like Taiwan. But until then, that's going to be very difficult. Thank you so much. Uh, there, there's another question from Kesha. I think you have uh, briefly talked about this. Uh, she's asking uh, globally, how had COVID-19 presented new opportunities in digital health in, in any? You've talked about how it has accelerated things, but has it opened up new opportunities? Well, well so one of the things like I, I think, for example, I think you're going to start seeing more like, for example, FDA, right? Like for, you're familiar with like the, the drug administration, the federal drug administration. So, so very, very critical piece that has traditionally been a massive bottleneck for innovation. I think you're seeing a lot of changes in there. So for example, one of the stupid things in the U S was that if you're a doctor in California, you're only licensed to practice in California. You can't practice in New York or whatever. That's been at least temporarily removed, right? That restriction. So you can practice anywhere. That's a huge change. You're going to sort of see sort of competition. And if that continues, you're going to see competition really, really sort of accelerate in healthcare, which is really, really important. 
Um, I think telemedicine, like that, like to me, where it's like all of a sudden telemedicine like really opened up because of this as a necessity. I think people are going to be like, wait a minute, like why do we need to show up at a doctor's you know office to be exposed to sort of like sick people? Like that makes no sense. And so I think like you're going to see digital health really, really accelerate. Um, so very, very bullish in that space. Yeah, that, that's that's great. And I and I agree. There are a lot of things that 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 we are completely revaluating today. I have to go to the bank to sign yeah. a document, and yeah, I'm like, so just just like, why do I have to go there so that you see my face and I put my fingerprint? It's like, <laughs> anyways. Um, there, there's Loreto uh, said, you know, you've given your thoughts on on uh, South America, uh, North America, Europe, Asia. You're missing Africa. What are your thoughts on Africa? Um, so, so a couple of things. I think Africa is going to be very challenged in the short term. Um, I think as money sort of gets pulled back home, right? Um, and so I think that's going to be a challenge. I think Africa from a demographic perspective is very, very well positioned. But I think as, a, as sort of like as a region overall, um, I think it's really, really hard. Um, and, and so, and, and I, have, I have a view for this. Like, like my recommendations, like listen to anything from like Peter um, Zihan, Z-E-I-H-A-N. Um, and he gives a very good perspective of global geopolitics. And, and that's important to understand uh, because ec- you know, economics is very tied into global geopolitics. And his view, because of demographically Africa being very, very good, but as a landmass, it's, it's very much very challenged from a landmass perspective, right? Geographically, because it, you know there, there's not a lot of natural sort of like trading blocks in Africa because of just the way the geography is actually set up. And so, doing you know, Africa could be interesting from a demographic perspective, um, and if it could find some way to be tied into sort of global sort of like um, you know sort of global economics. Um, but because of the way it's set up, it's it, it, you know, internal markets are very very hard to sort of set up. And also external markets are very, very hard to sort of set up. And so because of that, it's very, very hard for that economy, you know, sort of the economy overall to sort of get critical mass. And so that's my concern with Africa overall. What is the name of the guy? We want to put it on the chat. Um, Yes, um, Peter Zaihan, um, Z-E-I-H-A-N. Zaihan. Yeah, yes. Peter Zaihan. Yeah, that's oh, right. Okay. Yeah, there so he, he's written a bunch of books, like really, really good books. And, and, and I would say I recommend them. It's very orthogonal. And orthogonal means like just like very different perspective of geopolitics, but actually very, very, very much grounded on history and numbers and data. And so, for example, everyone, like a lot of my thinking around China has actually been informed by this. It's not obvious that China is going to be a glo- you know, sort of like a, a dramatically powerful player in the future. Um, I don't think it is. Um, that's what everyone seems to think. That's a consensus. I think the consensus is wrong there. Um, everyone seems to have counted out the U.S. I think even though despite the Trump idiocy, right, and, and sort of this dysfunctional sort of like political situation I have right now, both geopolitically, economically, um, and also geographically, the U.S. is actually, and demographically, U.S. is actually very well positioned for the future in ways. And countries that are tied into the U.S., for example, Mexico, a lot of Latin America, Canada, um, will probably benefit still um, in the long term. And so uh, I think people are writing off the U.S. and sort of like talking about China being the future. I think that's too obvious. And I think if you look at the demographics and the political system, there's a lot of challenges that China actually has. Um, and so just understanding that, reading Zaihan, you, you, it becomes much more clear. And just to quote uh, Warren Buffett from, from like the, the, their weekend, uh, um, you know, meeting with the stakeholders, like it, the, the U.S. still has attracted a lot of talent. And, and if we have to talk about like where, where everyone wants, still wants to go, uh, I don't think it's China. I don't think people it's, want it's, to. It's, yeah, I, it's, 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 not, it's very clearly not China, right? And, and so I think from an environmental perspective, from a just the culture perspective, the police state, like there's just too many things that are just too scary. Not to say the U.S. is like U.S. has massive, massive issues, but I think people are also forgetting about the U.S.'s ability to change. Um, and and I think people are writing off Japan. I think you can't write off Japan either. Um, people forget about the major restoration. They were able to industrialize in like a twenty to thirty year period, right? Like went from real medieval sort of like mentality and technology to sort of like industrial power defeating Russia like literally in a very short period of time, they can do that again. 
Yeah, I'm I'm a super fan of of anime, and like I would never write off Japan. Like the the level of like philosophy that they put through all of the content that they are always creating, it's amazing. It's yeah, and their ability to change is really, really their ability to take in outside technology and to change, and also to have their own technology. It's one of the very few places in Asia that has real IP, um, and th- and they're very forward thinking. They have a lot of money. Um, you know, demographically not in great shape. So that is a real problem, but they've been very aggressive with changing, you know, sort of, you know, immigration laws as well too. So there's been a flood of international people like living and working in, in Japan. So I, I, I think in many ways, like Japan is very well positioned for the future. Excellent. Um, Marvin, I, I want to be very respectful of your time. We're super glad to have you here. We had uh, tons of questions. I want to thank everyone who has joined us. Um, you know, a, a lot of the guys that are always there, of course, uh, Juan Pablo, uh, Juan Jaramillo, Jose Daniel Enao, uh, Jorge Castro, Jared uh, Colton, uh, Yasmin uh, as well, Henry Velasquez, uh, Bradley uh, Restrillo. Thank you, everyone. Uh, for those that are joining on Facebook as well, Peter Kovac, uh, a big thank you for you as well, Daniel Diaz. Uh, everyone has joined us. Uh, just please remember, um, if you thought this was valuable, it would do us a really great help. You know, follow Marvin's work uh, uh, on Instagram. Follow his work on Twitter. Uh, follow us if you want to connect on LinkedIn. Um, Marvin, if people, if people want to connect with you and they say, you have an amazing idea, Marvin, uh, uh, you know, what do they do if they want, if they want to get in contact with you? Um, I mean, the best way, best way is just like, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those folks who are just like, I need filtering. And so, you know, get it, get an intro from Eddie and then I'll, I'll be happy to talk, talk to you. Uh, amazing. Thank you so much, Marvin. And, and I hope we can get you back in, in the show in the future, you yeah, know, in a few to. months to see yeah. where you're thinking is at. Uh, I think this was very insightful. Everyone also, uh, please keep an eye open for uh, the snippets that we're going to get out. Uh, I, I wrote down some of the moments where Marvin was giving us some of those nuggets uh, because of the conversation you might ignore, uh, but I'm going to put those out in, in short snippets for audio and also for video. So find them out there and, and then, you know, link to those, uh, share them with your friends. And uh, once again, Marvin, thank you so much for your time. Oh. Everyone, thank you so much yeah. for being with us. Um, Walter, uh, uh, Loretto, Charlotte, I know you're always there as well. So thank you so much for joining us. And remember, link to us, find us on Instagram, uh, like the content, and, and we'll continue putting it out there. Thank you so much, everyone. Be safe, everybody. Thank you for listening and remember to share, like, and comment if this content brought value to your life. You can find us on social media as We Are Torre. Explore more content at blog.torre.co. See you around.